sure. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we do need you. You are the only thing faithful that we can depend on in this life, in this world. So we pray now that as we seek to understand this idea, this concept, this attribute of faithfulness, you would teach us. Teach us about yourself, teach us about ourselves, and give us hope and reassurance for today and the future. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> in February of this year, an article was published in The Stylist, The Stylist magazine. It's a women's magazine that covers a variety of topics and addresses issues that women encounter in their professional and personal lives. The article was entitled, Mental Health. This is why too much independence could be a bad thing according to experts. Yes, that whole thing was a title. <laughs> it says, I'm just gonna read you a little bit of the article, bear with me. It says, being independent is a brilliant trait to have. There's nothing more freeing than knowing that you are comfortable and confident in being able to take care of yourself regardless of those around you. And it's truly an essential characteristic that we should all aim to have. But what happens when that independence turns into something else? When you no longer reach out to loved ones in a time of need or you feel like you don't need anyone anymore? Well, chances are these heightened levels of independence could be a sign of something so much more. The article goes on quoting one of the experts. They say, you're so used to doing things yourself, taking care of yourself in every way possible and not needing a single soul. It's your survival mechanism. In fact, she continues, hyper-independence is often a result of someone who lost trust in anyone being able to adequately care for you, typically because growing up, no one did. So you had to figure out ways to take care of your own needs, says the expert. This is getting in the way of allowing others to do good things for you, and you deserve that, end quote. So says the experts, hyper-independence is a trauma response. I don't know if you knew that, or maybe you know someone who is extremely independent and, and doesn't need anyone and can do everything on their own. It's a trauma response. 
But the truth is, many are independent or hyper-independent out of necessity, not out of choice. I think of single-parent households and households where the adults are always working or households where the adults are dealing with severe injury or illness or even poverty. There are so many family makeups and dynamics that children can grow up in a space where they have to fend for themselves out of necessity, not out of choice. And so, it develops this trauma response. The trauma response becomes either sink or swim, survival. You can't depend on friends, you can't depend on family, even your parents sometimes. They are not dependable. In some cases, they're not trustworthy either. Now, I'm not saying this is everyone's situation. We're talking about hyper-independence and a trauma response to that. But you end up having no confidence in them. You begin to depend wholly upon yourself. And this trauma develops in individuals this backward complex. It begins by not having something, or, or the beginning of not having something turns into this idea of you not needing something. And if I'm honest, with humans, you really can't depend on them at least not all the time. There are limitations to our capabilities and weaknesses in our words. They're often faulty. But then we draw a contrast. But God. But God. God, in this regard, is not like us. God is not like us in this regard. But the fruit of the Spirit, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Did you hear that? Faithfulness. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit, one of them, faithfulness, one attribute. So we've been making our way through a, a better understanding of the, of the Holy Spirit, of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and we've come to the attribute of faithfulness. Now, what is faithfulness? What is faithfulness? Faithfulness, defined here in Galatians 5.22, means this. It means persuade, or be persuaded, or it means come to trust, to develop a trust, to have confidence in. The definition goes on to describe that this is God's divine persuasion. What does that mean? Faithfulness is the way that God persuades you of who he is. God's divine persuasion. So how exactly does he do that? 
what does it look like? In high school, I played volleyball. I still play on occasion, sometimes. <laughs> but I played the position of middle hitter, all right? And my favorite thing to do as a middle hitter was, was not simply to spike, but it was to spike the ball during a specific kind of play, all right? Now, sometimes what happens if you've watched volleyball before, you'll have a really intense play and someone will give a really nasty spike and the other team will have to recover and the recovery is so scrambled that all they can do is just bump uh, or, or hit the ball one time to, to get it over to the other side, barely. They can't do a bump set spike situation, they're scrambling, so they can only do one bump and hit it over back to the other side. And that was my favorite time. Because as they did that one bump over, sometimes it just would barely make it over the net and it would just literally just float there in the sky waiting to drop. And so at those times, that's when I got excited. Because I would just help them out a little bit by immediately returning the ball and going up and spiking it right down back on the other side. Oh, I loved it. Feels good. And I never missed it. I never missed it. If there was a ball floating, hanging over the net, and I was in the front row, oh, it's going down. It's going immediately down. And I was so consistent that my coach, he was so confident. Anytime he would see a ball hanging in the air and I was in the front row, he knew it was a point. Oh, it's gonna happen. And so there was this one game. I was in the front row. We were down uh, about a point or two. And that time came. We hit a good spike and the other team was scrambling to make it over and they did one bump and it just hovered. And for some reason, I, got, I lost my footing and I couldn't make it up in the air to spike the ball. And the ball came down and it came down so quickly and, and, that you couldn't tell which side it had fallen on whether it had fallen on theirs or mine. But before the ball landed, my coach started cheering. He's like, yeah! <laughs> and the ball dropped, and he thought we got the point. Why? Because he just knew. He didn't even have to see it. He just knew that I had smacked it down on their side. That's how confident he was. And the referee comes over and he whispers to him the point goes to the other side and he looks up shocked and I'll never forget his words he said really Michelle never misses those <laughs> Michelle never misses those he was so shocked and surprised humans miss but God, God is consistent. There's not one time that he lets anything, any of his words drop. You can put money on that. 
And there's no need for shock or surprise when it comes to God because that is who he is. God is not like us in this regard. He doesn't miss. He cannot miss. We miss. Human beings miss. But God, mm -mm. not him. So how does God persuade you of his faithfulness? Well, point number one, he's consistent. And point number two, he keeps his word. He keeps his word. The story of Abraham found in Genesis, the narrative. Abraham, excuse me, Abram at that time, this is before his name was changed to Abraham, Abram was 75 years old when God promised him a son. And he promised him that he would have descendants as many as the stars in the night sky. He took him outside and he said, Abraham, look up. Abram, look up. You see those stars? That's going to be the number of your descendants. 25 years later, Abraham was 100 years old when that promise came true. He waited 25 years for God's promise to be fulfilled. And the Bible says that when God spoke it, Abram believed it and it was counted to him as righteousness. God doesn't let his words fall, but sometimes it takes a long time. Here's a rhetorical question. How long are we able to wait or to endure some type of hardship if we are sure, if we are certain that what we're waiting for is indeed coming? How long are we willing to wait? How long can you endure? Let me make that more practical. Believers have been saying Jesus is coming back for a long time, a very long time. Some people have lost hope. Some people say, to fooey with it. Here's what I say, keep waiting. Keep waiting. Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith says, some died not having seen the promises of God fulfilled in their lifetime, but they believed by faith they saw it afar off. Keep waiting. And when it happens, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. The way that God persuades you of who he is is by consistency and keeping his word. He is faithful. We may, we may not see everything that God has promised, but we've seen enough. We've seen the track record. We've, we've heard the stories. And if we're daring enough, We've put God to the test in our very own lives. We've experienced it, experienced God's faithfulness enough times to know that whatever God has says, said, that is what will happen. Why? Because God only says things that he means. 
Because when he says it, the very thing he has spoken has no choice but to become a reality. He spoke, let there be light, and there was light. It is who he is. He cannot lie. He cannot miss. This is divine persuasion. It is how God convinces you of his being till you come to trust him. And he'll do it over and over and over again. I remember growing up, <clears throat> there were certain people close to me who made me angry because they didn't keep their word. Or not that, you know, we, we can't all be perfect, but they rarely kept their word. And I couldn't depend on them, I couldn't trust them, I had no confidence in them. And so one day, I got fed up and I decided, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back, I'm gonna get back at them. And even though I was a person to, to typically keep my word, for the purpose of vengeance, I would intentionally promise and not keep it. Just to give them a taste of their own medicine. Why don't you see how it feels? Hey, Michelle, can you go pick this up from the store? Sure, no problem. Not do it. Hey, so what time are you gonna get here? Ah, uh, maybe about five. Not show up. And after doing that for a while, I realized something. I was changing, but not for the better, for the worse. Me getting vengeance for being wronged was producing within me the very thing that made me seek vengeance in the first place. It was changing me. I was changing. But, but watch this. Watch this, our, our, our text of emphasis. Paul is writing this letter to, to this epistle to Timothy, a young disciple, and he's giving him instructions and reassuring him in the way, right? And, and the lessons of the gospel. And he quotes this poem, or it may even be a hymn of his day. And he says this, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. He says, it says, the saying is sure. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God's faithfulness is a constant it doesn't change. God's faithfulness is not dependent on your behavior. It is who he is. God is consistent whether you are or you're not. God keeps his word whether you do or you don't. 
Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, we read it earlier during the song service, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. God's faithfulness is not dependent on your behavior. It's dependent on who he is and he doesn't change. Romans 3, 3 and 4 continues and elaborates saying, it was speaking of the Jews and their, their unfaithfulness in, in spreading the gospel and, and they, they housed the oracles of God and they didn't share it. They, they covered their light with a bushel. And so Paul is talking and he says, what if, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? And then he says, by no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. You cannot cancel out the faithfulness of God by your behavior. He's too good. He's too consistent. He will never stop persuading you. He will never stop convincing you of who he is. He will always, always be consistent. He will always keep his word. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me, you know what that means? You know what that means? When God says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Don't sit in the mire. Don't sit there. Get up. You are forgiven. God spoke it and he made it so forgiven. Don't keep going back to it. Don't keep bringing it up. Forgiven. Leave that guilt in the mire where you found it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's faithfulness is not dependent on our behavior. It's dependent on who he is. According to the record of scripture, God originally created humanity in his very own image. Male and female created he them. To be like him. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is God's fruit. This is what God produces. This is what he had planted in humanity. And when sin entered the world and entered the heart of human beings, it somehow put an opposite effect on God's creation, on the people who bore his image, on the image bearers. 
And so from the time of sin's inception on this earth, God has been trying to restore his image in the heart of humanity to fix it. And it is through death, through the sacrifice of the lamb, paying for the sins of the world, that we are able to have the option to remove the curse of death on us and receive the gift of life. With the gift of life comes the regenerating and recreating power of God so that he begins to work and rework, sanctify you so that you return to his original plan of being a bearer of his image in its fullness. You become born again by the Spirit of God living in your heart. And he, again, plants those seeds that produce a certain type of fruit, making us like himself, restoring the image of God in humanity. The faithfulness that God has that God uses, that he plants and develops in his people. He uses it so that, or he puts it there, so that within a community of believers, people become attracted to the consistency, to the loyalty, to the dependability and the trustworthiness of the pledge of a Christian, of the people of God. Sadly, we, an unfaithful people, serve a very faithful God. But God would like to change that so that a faithful people serves a faithful God. So that who we are is an accurate reflection of who he is. At the end of time, this will be the fight. Those who bear the image of God and those who do not. They bear another image, one that is contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. They bear the image, the markings of the beast, uh, the beast, a, a power of force a power of control, a power that doesn't attract or draw or woo with love, but it takes, it steals by force and without permission. It gratifies selfishly without bounds and limitations and by blood. In the book of Revelation chapter 17, these people fight against the lamb. fight against him. And the lamb, of course, he conquers them. Watch what it says in Revelation 17, verse 14. It says, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen 
and faithful. Did you hear that? Jesus will do all the fighting. Jesus will do all the conquering. And us, us image bearers, will be right there next to him. So how do I become more faithful? The Bible says, it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God not only gives you the desire for that, but he actually empowers you to do it. You need to make time for God. Let's bring all this way down to our everyday. You need to make time for people too. It is hard to emulate someone you don't spend any time with. It is hard to manifest the fruit of the Spirit absence in the absence of a community. Ask God to give you the desire to be like him, to help you to be more faithful. And ask him to make it your reality. I hope that's what you want. I hope that's what you desire. And so according to his word, let it be your experience. Amen.